My name is Adam Roberts, and I'm a vocal coach here in the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas. I'm on a journey to learn the stories behind extraordinary voices of people I know and what makes them unique. Each of my guests has chosen to follow their voice. So this is Cola Voce. And you mentioned, right, that when you went to school in Athens, that actually, and this was one of the things that I found really interesting when you came and spoke to one of the musical theater history classes that I was teaching, that you felt as though you yourself were perhaps the only Black actor in the theater program or in the classes you were in, right? The classes that you were in academically. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, like, that's just, uh, for where I was geographically, that just was the reality, right? In a lot of Southern states, if you're going to, or I mean, at least that was my experience. I haven't spent a lot of time in, in Southern states other than Texas. And, and maybe maybe it would have been a different experience had I been in Dallas or had I been in Austin. But most of the most of the upper, um, you know, I was in pre-AP advanced placement classes and mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I did a lot of UIL extracurriculars, right? And I was like, yeah, I was very often the only black kid, if not one of few black kids, depending on how many people were in the activity. And that's just a reality for me. And it's a reality for a lot of my colleagues, even here in New York City. They're like, yeah, like I was, you know, one of either one of or the only black person in quote unquote musical theater program. Or I was one of or the only black person in my high school advanced placement English class. Or I was one of, if not the only black person in my regional theater back home in Florida. That's just the that's the reality. I mean, the the last time I checked this statistic, I believe that our U.S. population, the population of the United States is about 13 percent black. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. So and, and when you look at the, the population concentration of those black people, unfortunately, it stayed mostly in the places where we were working. A couple hundred years ago, our yes. family just kind of stayed there. Um, like you can look in the colonial South and it's like that is the large concentration of black people. You know, obviously we're we're all over the place. But like if you if you look at the statistics and you go to like places in, like let's say, Oklahoma or like the Midwest, it's like and you start looking around and it's like there are no black people. <laughs> like There's been more, you know, more than enough times in places where I'm surprised in Austin. I've been in restaurants in Austin, yeah. on the north side of Austin, when I'm like, man really like i don't i don't know if it's something about just this lunch hour that i'm at but i'm looking at kirby lane and i'm like i am the only black person in this restaurant right now yes, yes. and so like when you live your life with and again i'm getting i'm being more conscious of it there are times i never used to notice that and I, i'd be like oh yeah i'm only whatever like I, it was never it was never something that was brought to my attention in the ways that it's been brought to my attention you know given the the circumstances of our of our country in the last two years yes I mean, of the last forever, but like specifically right. with the pandemic and really being able, like you're not distracted by your work or by the bills that you got to pay. I mean, you are distracted by the bills that you got to pay, but you know, it's just like without the, with all the things that the pandemic took away, um, it gave a little bit more space to really look at things with a microscope. Um, and so I did that and I looked up a lot of statistics that I'm just like, yeah, oh, that statistic explains how I've felt my whole life. And because it's so unconscious, Again, I used to never think about being the only black person in my AP classes in high school. I used to never think about being the only black person in my region. And it wasn't regional theater. It was community theater in mm -hmm. Athens. I used to never think about those kinds of things. But they affect us and they affect our theatrical economy and, and global economy, you know, as a whole. 
But like I said, there's just not that many of us because slavery was hard. <laughs> there was huge populations of slaves that died on the ships. Yes. Nevertheless, surviving slavery as it occurred for as long as it occurred in this country. When my mother talks about her grandfather, I'm 26 years old. I'm a 26 year old black man living in New York City. When my mother, who's very young, she's in her 50s. When my mother talks about her grandfather, that's just my mother, 26 years old, mother in her 50s, her grandfather. She doesn't know anything about him because, quote, she Mm. said, well, that's back in the slavery days. Which wow. even if you do the math, it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, talking about 1900s. I'm like, yeah, people, imagine being in a place like Texas, which is where my family's from. Imagine being in a place like Texas. And sure, 1865, Abraham Lincoln signs, you know, uh, or 1863, excuse me, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation. War ends in 1865 in April. Lincoln's assassinated just a few days later. Lincoln was assassinated a few days after the end of the Civil War assassinated so guess what happened to that emancipation proclamation the guy that came in after him was like "Eh, i'm the president now you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like even at the end of 1865 when the 13th 14th and 15th amendments were ratified into the constitution america then spent the next 100 years until the civil rights movement being like "Eh." but here's what it actually means so like you're fresh out of slavery in terms of it being the law of the land in 1865 Juneteenth, right? Like you'll get April when it was over. Slaves in Texas didn't hear about it till Juneteenth. Yeah, those that don't know your Juneteenth history. So we heard about it then, but then like y'all, and so again, if anybody in Texas is listening to this, y'all see how wide them them fields and things are in in Powell, Texas, in Buddha, and you know what I'm saying? I'm like, so somebody comes to you, ain't no email, ain't no text, ain't no twiddle, and they say, hey, you free? And you look around and you like. Free to go where? And it's like, anywhere you want to. And you're like, ah, I don't I don't see nothing else. <laughs> I can't I can't Google where else to go. Yes. Um and that like I said, that all happens in 1865. So yeah, there's slaves that are quote unquote, as some historians say, voluntarily get the fuck out of my face with that shit. Voluntarily working on the same plantations, 1875. 1885, 1895, there's documents of quote unquote voluntary, or not even voluntary. There's people in after the 1900s, which again is about when my mom's grandfather would have been born. Mm-hmm. There's people in the 1900s in some of these very spacious places in Texas. History of them getting told in the 1900s that they were free. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't gotta you don't gotta be a slave no more. It's like, when was this? When was nobody gonna tell us? It's like, oh, this was 35 years ago. Huh? And then if you do have the courage to leave the plantation, even in the 1900s, you about to go out there and fight Jim Crow. So, yeah, you're free. But like you it's like, OK, great. So can I vote? No. Right. OK, but I can own property like I can own the land that I've worked. No. Right. OK, but I can I can learn to read now. Right. Cause I couldn't read when I was on. No. OK. Um, Can I get my own money? well we have some white people who we'd rather give the money to well i guess i'm gonna and then you get sharecroppers of which my grandfather was one yeah my grand like i'm not talking about my mom's grandfather anymore i'm talking about my grandfather grandfather. grandfather in texas you know what i mean so like it's sticky but so many people don't talk about this so you can't even you're you're existing in space with that one black kid who's there despite all of this history which was me despite all this history somehow my parents still 
did what they did to allow me the opportunity to go to school and be in advanced placement classes. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking around at my family being like, oh, wait a minute. We didn't all in my family, not just like all people in my community. And again, Athens ain't but great. Graduated with 170 kids. I'm looking around my family being like, oh, I'm kind of the person that's had the most opportunity in my entire family. Oh, man. When you've made your way into these advanced placement classes, when you've made your way into these theatrical spaces, they don't see that because nobody's been taught that. Nobody's had to talk about that. Everybody wants to, in an effort not to be racist, you've like shied away from the things that 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 do make me different from you, that, different than you if you're a white person. Yeah. And yeah, you don't want to exclude on differences, blah, 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 but like you actually have to be aware of them in order to have sensitivities to, well, yeah, you don't have black people in your program because those parents are divorced or that mom has to work three jobs for her son that might be in that program, whatever, whatever. She's not about to get him on a bus across town if it's, you know, any place in Austin that's teaching classes. It's like, yeah, I actually don't care that you went to them inner city, whatever, whatever's and said, come to this class. We're teaching it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't understand the cultural barriers because you're thinking, oh, so-and-so white mom whoever that did theater that whose daughter now wants to do it. i'm like yeah it's nothing for them to like, take them after class they know what it is they went through it themselves you know theater moms or whatever it is and i'm like that's not the case for a lot of black people and even the black people who have gotten through the system who in people my age that have parents that are doctors even there i'm like but you go back just two more generations and you look at those black doctors who and their grandparents it wasn't possible for their grandparents and you have to be a, a more aware of that when you're talking about equity in the theater. Because if you're not, you're going to be missing a lot of the information when you feel like you had a initiative or whatever. And you look around at your cohort for whatever the company is, you know, kids learning how to do theater, whatever it is. And you got 100 people and you don't see any people of color and you don't see no black people. These are, are the beginnings of the reasons why. Because slavery and us being free on paper wasn't but was that 160 years ago, much less than we actually were enslaved. But like we're not we're not talking about that. So um, I'm trying to talk more about that. And I'm trying to be more of a uh, of a resource of information without being everyone's black friend that they then come talk to about these these issues. Well, and I so appreciate what you're talking about awareness. That was the impetus for this podcast in the first place, because, you know, as a white voice teacher and vocal coach, these are the things that I need to know from so many perspectives, not for my work, but as a human being. Yeah. And the true privilege of getting to work with you, of getting to work with Michelle, of getting to work with so many wonderful Black artists and artists of color has informed me like no other part of my work in what it is that I do. And so the desire to share that with others in our industry, in our community, in whatever small way that I can is the impetus for these, for these discussions. And I so appreciate that you are willing to, to have them. Well, thank you for pursuing that and being curious about that because i think that a little curiosity goes a long way in all aspects of one's life but adam there's so many people in 
positions similar to you, you know, in positions dissimilar to you, whatever it is, that just are not curious either. That are like, we got a blah, 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 an EDI and this and that and this and this. But it's like, but are you curious about why you're not seeing more EDI in the first place? Yes. Because if you're not, then all of these mantras you want to throw up about we're in this together and the pandemic is hard and George Floyd's hard for me too and Breonna Taylor and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I actually don't care because you don't have a curiosity to understand why we got here in the first place. Because if you're talking about Breonna Taylor and you're talking about George Floyd, you're talking about Amoud Aubrey, you're talking about Botham Jean, you're talking about Trayvon Martin, you're talking about any of these people murdered, right? When you talk about it and you're not interested in, but why did, why are we here? What are the incremental decisions that, yes, unfortunately, if you're white in America, that your ancestors put in place for us to incrementally over time be here. If you're not interested in that and you're not interested in pursuing the information for yourself as a person, don't do it because you think it's going to get you more revenue for your theater or your this or your blah, 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 da, 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 da. Because you see people are like now, you know, protesting it and like not, you know, boycotting you and whatever. It's like, no, you just have to be interested in this as a human being for us to get to a place where it doesn't color your decisions, even if it's implicit, because it does. It really does. Like there's so many white people that I've come across in musical theater that like when I talk to them about Athens, Texas, it's like, what? Question mark. And but the same thing happens when I talk to. Black people from the DMV, you know, sure. Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, very different experience. Like, oh, black people all around here, yes. you know. But again, it's like black people all around in what was, quote unquote, the north of the colonial south. Like, that's where black people went to try to get theirs when slavery was supposed to be no more. You know what I'm saying? So like, or even in New York, right? Like, it's like all of these arguably more affluent Black people that went up north. You, like, yes. you, you just got to be able to see see the connections, be curious about the connections. And not all of the connections that I've illustrated here are going to be the case for every black person. There's tons of black people that, have, that are first generation straight from Africa, you know what I'm saying? Or, or from Jamaica or from all, all places. And if you, if you talk to black people who are, who are, whose families have been overseas, for the last few centuries, right? Like it's the, the diaspora is wide. And those are stories that needs to be told and that should be told and that should be part of the work that we do. Should be, but most people just want what's comfortable and they want to do Dolly Parton and they want to mm -hmm. do Reba McIntyre and they want to mm -hmm. do whatever other country artists. I mean, I don't know. I love country. I love, love, love country. I don't like what it's always represented in my life as being someone from Texas. It's kind of sure. like, I see all of these white people that like, you know what I'm saying? That like, I feel like I have to learn and I have like in my pursuit of learning music, right? It's like, I got to like go through all of these white people who, when you talk about the progression of music and how it's changed, it's like, but it's music as we listen to it today has come from black people. It's like all music was just like this Baroquean and all these like yeah. 16th century composers. It was almost only that until like people started to hear what the slaves were doing in the fields. And then it turns into rock and blues and all of this stuff, like as it spins out. But I'm like, but yes, yeah, like I've said, I've been, I've had to sit here and, and through many a theory lesson, right. Mm -hmm. And look at 
the three chord structure of insert white country artist here or the the chordal structure of insert white european composer here yes um yeah and it's one of the many great ironies because as you said everything we do practically is based not in that especially with musical theater like i mean if yes it needs to be dismantled in in all forms of music all forms of media but like when musical theater specifically is positioning itself as it can be anything and we're telling stories in all different kinds of ways and you can do a hamilton that doesn't sound like 1776 like musical theater tells us that we can dare to dream in those ways and not you know a classical music artist is not necessarily told to dream in those ways. It's like, no, you're going to learn your Chopin. You're going to learn your Debussy. You're going to learn, you're going to learn these things and you're just going to play these things for your whole career. Right. Like that's what they're telling them. Um, And again, that should be challenged and broken open, but like musical theater is, is starting with the idea that it can be anything. So like, if it can be anything, let's examine why we haven't seen (laughs) the scope of that and analyze those barriers to entry and analyze why we're not teaching more Kirk Franklin in our high school musical theater. Like just to, just to know it, it's like, just know him the way that I now know Steven Schwartz and Alan Minken and Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, like I think Kirk Franklin has had an equal, if not more profound impact on American music. If we're talking about again, cause like mu- musical theater music is what's on the radio. Okay. So we're talking about pop music. So if we're talking about popular music and its influence in our culture, I'm like, why isn't Kirk Franklin being taught if, as it pertains to story? Because not every pop artist is is concerned with story in the same way that Schwartz or Weber or Minkin is. But Kirk Franklin is. So, like, why aren't we analyzing? Chance the Rapper is. You know, like, why are we not thinking about it in, in that way? Even, again, it's like Silk Sonic, man. Like, these, like, Anderson Pac and Bruno Mars, like, hold on to your lily white butts. Like, that album, like, leave the door open. Even if we're not talking about narrative in the same way that again Sondheim might be writing I'm like leave the door open is a melodically complex piece it's a harmonically complex piece there's energy it's fun it was at number one for a week like and tells a story like with the notes just as much as it does or does like again might not be like the scholarist the musical theater scholars is like but where, where where does the character change at the end of the song I'm like bump that like somebody's courting you know their whoever and again it's like i think yeah they they use pronouns in that but a lot of the stuff that i'm exploring in some of my you know pop or romantic writing i'm like where what are the songs we can write with no pronoun yeah no pronouns in it that are just expressing love and now it's like yes this heteronormative couple can sing it and this homosexual couple can sing it and that like anybody can sing the idea of i love you and it still be the same sentiment but it's just there's no pronouns so now you can just now it's all types of people can sing this material like we're already, we're like right on the cusp of discovering that and legitimizing some of these again i don't even know what what theorists would call it like i'm not i'm not sure why leave like we don't have more things like leave the door open on broadway right now i, re- I really don't because i'm like this is because it, it's not of like today's era it's so clearly trying to be <laughs> of the 80s but like again, it tells a story. It tells a story again, like harmonically, with like how simple it is in the beginning. There's like whop key change, which is like we do in musical theater for some reason. We just love right. to change the key. Like oh, I'm experiencing a new feeling. Change the key. <laughs> they're, they're doing that. They're thinking about it in that way. Yeah. So like, why why are we not analyzing them? And again, starting early, 
Because as you start to have creative thoughts in middle school and high school and college, if the only thing you've been looking at is Schwartz and Sondheim and Weber, your thoughts are going to come out like them. If you're never like, I still think people are behind with analyzing Lynn, Lynn manuel Miranda. Like he is, he is in the same seat as a lot of those guys are now in the Tesoris, right? Like even I I think we're still like way behind on analyzing Tesori as much as we should be. And like, unfortunately, yeah, then those young people make things that are reductive versions of like only this like small sliver of musical theater that we're talking about. And I have to say, you know, as a, I call myself a recovering music theorist sometimes because that's what I, you know, did through my academic journey and career. I have high hopes actually for the academic side of music theory. You know, um, Professor Philip Ewell in particular has, within the past several years, has really brought up the white frame that is all of music theory study and is embarking on new curricula, new textbook, new things, and that I am just more excited about than I was ever excited about any other topic or aspect of music theory, because it has needed to change for a very, very long time. And I'm so excited that a Black scholar and musician is leading the way in this change, because otherwise it's antiquity. It's Mm -hmm. antiquated. It's irrelevant. It comes back to that relevance for me. It really does. Yeah. wrote the theme song for voice memos, but I don't even, I'm not sure you know what voice memos is. Uh, That might be a correct assumption. (laughs) You're about to find out. So voice memos is a segment that we do on Cola Voce, and it's for fun. It's to get a little, to know a little more about you. But today, because we all know our favorite things change from day to day, so We're not holding you to any of these things for the long haul, but I'm going to ask you 10 questions about your favorite blank. And I can't wait to hear how you respond. Alrighty. (laughs) First question. What is your favorite artist in any genre? Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda of all the things he does. All right. Favorite song in any genre? When You're Home in the Heights, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Wow, he's getting quite the shout out here. Your favorite educational endeavor? Uh, Teaching music in any form, fashion to any person who's willing to learn. Whoa. What about your favorite musical group? Currently, it's Lawrence, the band, signed to Beautiful Mind Records, which is John Bellion's record label. Amazing. I was like, get Lin-Manuel Miranda in there. (laughs) you good he has his group okay favorite thought leader um Brene Brown is up there Simon Sinek is up there start with why yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) Uh, yeah no he he's up there for me for me right now yeah love it favorite trailblazer uh I'm gonna 
pivot off Miranda to someone else in his team, I'm going to have to give that one to Alex Lackamore um, for the sounds that he's brought to Broadway in the last 15 years when there wasn't really a template to be like, oh, I want Heights or Hanson or Hamilton to sound like there was nothing there. <laughs> he just, I mean, it just they, they really trailblazed with a lot of their material. And also just such a cool guy. Like, what a, what a cool person, you know? Oh, man, he's, he's so, so kind and so generous. Yeah. Your favorite inspiration? Um, oddly, it's been music YouTubers as of late. If, when I'm stuck and, and, and when I'm tired of reading and I don't want to focus anymore, I'll go waste an hour or two um, with my favorite music YouTubers, and I feel, I feel reinvigorated because somehow there's people with millions of followers on YouTube who are just as big a nerd as I am about music theory, um, and I just never saw that. I was like, I thought music theory was like so uncool, but like here's these millions of people who are watching these these stories on YouTube. So it really it charges me up. Um, it's the coolest. That's what my degrees are in music theory. I mean, it's the coolest, Absolutely. coolest thing. Musical style, gospel. Yes. I mean, it's just yeah, it, yeah. I love it. Your favorite place to write music. Currently, it's here in this little nook with all of my with all my instruments. I have my instruments behind me, my guitar, my bass, my ukulele, uh, my electric guitar. I have I have my MIDI keyboard. I have my piano to my right. Um, so I'm just kind of surrounded by music. So this is this is my spot. Love it. And you said you're out in Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn. Yes. And finally, number 10, it's always the same question. Your favorite podcast host. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with I mean, Adam Roberts is definitely in the top five. Okay, there we go. Uh, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the top. That's a pretty high ranking. I'll take the top five. And that was voice memos. Before we get back to our interview, a big shout out to Riley Wesson for editing this episode, Scott Ferguson for graphic design, and Jay Quinton Johnson for writing and performing the voice memos theme. Voice And um, I think you I think you just answered the last question that I was going to ask, which was about, you know, your hopes. You talked about your hopes and dreams for the future of commercial theater. And I was going to ask you about your hopes and dreams for the future of arts education. And I think that that was one aspect. What you just mentioned. Is there anything else that you would add to that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it's just like the, the horn needs to be sounded out to every arts administrator in the country and in the world. Uh, but we can start with America. Um, but I'm like, if you are running an arts program, if you are a teacher of theater, teacher of music to, I mean, in what we teach music as early as elementary school now, and you get on the recorder mm -hmm. and you do high crossbones, high crossbones, any of you potentially listening to this podcast, let's start restructuring how we introduce music to people now. Let's do it now. Cause like, you don't know the types of, shows that will exist because if you teach somebody hot cross buns and if you're teaching them harmony it's like you don't know how something could unlock in them if instead of going to the one chord and the five chord back to the one if you just show them that it can also sound funky going to the one to the two to the three to the flat seven like if you yeah. show them that 
because that's happened to me like in the last year like I, I recently read victor wooten's the music lesson which like if you are a arts educator if you are teaching music to anybody i don't care if it's five-year-olds you have to have to have to read this book because it breaks open so many of the things i had to unlearn from my theory brain from my college music brain of like what works and like what doesn't i was like yes a minor second works <laughs> it, it works like it's like it a minor second works in function as a major seven chord with the minor second in between and like mm -hmm. i've done workshops adam where i've showed people that in real time it's like even like if you're a theorist conceptually you're like yeah that works but like you might hear that like blah, 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 blah. like you might hear it and be like oh well, that doesn't work i'm like no, 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 just like put the, like you have to contextualize it in the right way, which like we already do in musical theater. Like the things that maybe don't work, quote unquote, in classical music, if it's, yeah, you like don't like that tritone or like, again, you don't like that that major nine or, or like, you know, whatever it would be if it's like a C to D flat, but an octave apart, it's like, mm, that doesn't feel blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but maybe the character feels that. Mm -hmm. so like maybe you have to utilize that weird clustered chord or, you know, if we're talking about 12 tone equal temperament, maybe you have to use every note in the chromatic scale to express that just like wah, 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 whatever it is. Maybe you have to do that. Maybe you have to do a, a, a four beat rhythm that's not quantized perfectly to 16th notes. And instead it's a, it's a quintuplet swing. You know, maybe the character needs that, but it's like, I would have never unlocked the concepts of like septuple and quintuple swing using my like theory brain because like my theory brain is just like one and two and three and four and we never never ever in anybody that i've ever worked with ever have talked about swing yep ever yep. so i'm like yes five-year-olds as soon as you're talking about one and two and three and four and tell them that it can also be felt as one you know or especially the 16th because if you're lucky and you get to college and you're starting to look at a lot of jazz yeah maybe they go like ba do ba do ba you'll learn a little bit about the swing eighths but like no get in there and talk about the swing 16ths one is and look at the songs that are doing that they were doing it all over rap in the 90s Absolutely. that's why hamilton sounds the way it does and let's talk about triplet swing like let's talk about 12 8 let's talk about 6 4 if it, and we're talking about gospel you know what i'm saying like but talk about that to your five-year-olds in their elementary music class right now talk about that in beginner band in sixth grade talk about that in the junior production of Lion King or Frozen or whatever you're doing, even though those shows may not be utilizing that style, talk about it with them so that they know that that is also things that they need to put in their tool belt if they want, not even just if they want to pursue music professionally, but like if they just want to have a deeper relationship with music. Yes. Like we just have to do all of that at every level. Like don't just save it for like the college that again most people of color may not be able to afford right it's like no like bring it into public school systems yes. and, make, and then also like if you're somebody that has a, a position to hire people who teach hire them and pay them what they're worth to talk about these concepts yeah. bring them into your regional theaters bring them into your schools like i'm out here like i'm a, i'm a, i educate i taught like i'm not just a performer i have i have loads of resources that back up you know the things that i talk about like i'm and i'm on fire i'm like i'm i'm dying to come speak at whatever school you have if you have a passion or if you think you have students that are like interested in it but you don't know how to break through to them for whatever reason i'm like call me like i will come to Kansas, I will come to Florida, yes. you know, wherever it is, because like it's just important to know that like music exists 
in that way too. And again, the earlier you can start talking about it, the better, because that's going to shape people's imagination for their for the rest of their lives, which is going to lead to more enriching, more interesting and different, diverse, right? Everybody loves it. They're around the divert, diverse, but it's like the more we talk about and like, oh my, like world music, right? Like, yes. Yes. Things that are like not really even on the grid in four. It's like, it's kind of like four and a half, like, you yes. know, like microtones when you talk about like not like going outside of 12 tone equal temperament and you're and you're talking about music that is you know sliding through these half tones of pitches it's like i mean i I learned about microtones for the first time last year and like the the color that they add of like oh yeah it's not really f sharp and it's not really g it's somewhere in the middle absolutely like the like the beauty in that but like again like the classical person like what how can you play a note that's not one of those two it's like well if you weren't in the west you wouldn't be questioning that right like you have but you have to know that and you have to have teachers that are passionate about explaining these kinds of things and how they function in the music that's played all over the world and i also think getting it into the body and taking away music notation as being prescriptive yeah. That's what I always tell people, you know, yeah. music notation can represent so that you can replicate mm-hmm. something. Sometimes yeah. it's very yeah. inadequate for what we do, but get it in the body, get the feel, stop putting the notation before the actual thing. Absolutely. You know? All of it. I mean, it, yeah. And like, and then like, yeah, let's talk. And like, Oh, we like, again, arts administrators, if you're listening to this, start teaching your five year old logic pro X. Start teaching yeah, them Pro yeah. Tools, start teaching them Ableton, start teaching them Finale and Sibelius because having that relation, like my relationship, Adam, with Finale, with Logic is why I'm in Hamilton. Yeah. Like Hamilton was made on Logic. And because I can have those conversations, even if these aren't the conversations that I'm having as a performer when I get into the room, I can't like back to, to the Hamilton story. When I when I was in that room with Tommy and Lack and Andy Lack at one point, they, they asked me, you know, any musical theater people listening to this, you'll cringe because they I came in for the callback and they were like, oh, make, make sure to bring your book of songs. And I and I, I but I was in L.A. and I didn't have my book because I was only supposed to be in L.A. for a movie, rehe- movie rehearsal for Last Flag Flying. So I told my agent, I was like, hey, please let them know, because I was taught like never not have your book for a callback, never not have your book, always have your book. I was so scared. I was like, hey, I don't have my book. I left it in Texas. I didn't even know I was going to be here at this audition. Please let them know that I don't have my book. And that my agent let them know. And sure enough, I get into the room. I do all the Lafayette material. I do all of the Mulligan material. I do the James Madison material. I do the uh, Jefferson material. And they were like, hey, like, do you have do you have anything else you can sing? And I was like, ah, I don't have my book. I failed the musical theater gods. I'll see myself out now. And Alex, being the genius that he is, he was like, no, like, oh, we know you don't have your book. We know. But can you could you just sing something from memory? Like, do you just like what do you just like to sing? what do I like to sing? I was like, what do you mean? I sing off the page. I sing, I sing, I sing what the du- music director gives me. If no. I had locked up in that moment, cause of course I didn't. I told him, I was like, oh, can we do Stevie Wonder? He's like, yeah, you know, I know. Like, uh, um, cause it was, what was it? It was, um, I don't want to bore you with this. Luckily, I just knew that off the top of my head. And Alex is a cool, incredible musician who didn't need sheet music. He was like, no, I know that song. Boom, 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 boom. And he's like, oh, you want a key change? Great. Like, I know how to do that. Like, without looking at music, get off the page. Like, yes. you, like, because if I was locked up in that scenario and wasn't able to show lack what else I did outside of like, the written thing it's like because music is not this like people made this up but like music was uh, 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 
Like I'm not reading music for anybody that's listening. It's like I made that up. It's in me. It's around us. You have to listen with your heart and channel it through you, right? But in my musical theater training, that's not what I was ever taught. I was taught written word, written word, written notes. But if I had locked up in that situation with Alex, we wouldn't have forged the relationship that we have now. I texted him last night about In the Heights, right? Like I saw yeah. an early screening of it in Hamilton. The cast of Hamilton's going to see an early screening of it uh, in, in just a few days. And I had seen one, uh, another early screening through another institute, through Muse, actually, which I think I mentioned um, earlier. And I saw it there and then I texted him after. I was like, yo, the movie's incredible. Oh my God, like, I love, love the movie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh man, thanks, man. I was like, hey, like, and I texting him this. I was like, hey, like, you know, do you think Bill Sherman, uh, you know, who was an, another guy that's done the music stuff for Hamilton and Heights and all these things. He's like, you think Bill would, would want to talk to me? Alex texts me back immediately. He's like, yeah, yeah, like I'll connect with Bill. Like, I wouldn't, like, Lack is a musician. If I was like a locked up performer, I would have never, like, he would he would have just seen me as a performer. He'd be like, oh, like you're a performer that like, I, like I'll call when I need to like perform things. But because he's seen me now like as a musician, He's brought me further and further into the fold of how things are made because I'm curious about them and because I know that like I don't have to be barred like my creative ideas don't have to be barred by that but then I've also learned how to read music so well when I and like this is a, a short short thing and I absolutely don't mind sharing when I auditioned for Wicked I got the offer for Fiero on Broadway and I maintain that I got that offer. I, I, I couldn't do it because I, I really needed to come back to Hamilton to focus on my composition. But when I got there, the music guy for Wicked, I think it was the associate music director at the time, on Wicked, if for any of you that have auditioned for Wicked, on the packet it says, do not change the rhythms. Sing everything as it is on the page. Don't change anything. Don't do any riffs. Do what is on the page if you're auditioning for Wicked. And so I was there for my callback for Fiero. And because I had such a deep respect for composers and how they chart things and, and how specific things have to be when you, in fact, are doing it on stage, I knew the notes cold. I knew every cutoff. I knew every inflection. I knew what was on that page and what they were going to allow me to do off the page because they even had their option notes written in, right? They've spent the time to do that. So when I go in and I'm singing, uh, what is Fiero saying? Let's go down to the Oz Dust Ballroom. We'll meet there later tonight. I knew all my accidentals. Like I knew where it was sharp and where it was natural. I knew all of that cold. And I wasn't like nervous about it. You know, there's so many like young people that are like, oh, I, you know, I sang the wrong note and it was supposed to be a, 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 a B flat and I sang a B natural and blah. It's like, yeah, but you got to get to a place where you're not thinking about that. But you know what it is at the same time, because like it's, it's, yes. it's remembering to forget. Like your lines. Yes. And I remember I sang, you know, that that cut of Dancing Through Life and I finished it out and the music supervisor sat there like the director gave me, you know, tons of notes, like notes just to think about because she was so excited to work with me. So she just gave me a ton of contradicting notes and was like, have fun with that. I don't I don't even know if half of what I just said makes sense, but <laughs> you do something with that. And then it went and she like looked at her at the music guy and the music guy was sitting there looking at the page like. Because most people that come in, they try to like do their riffs or they try to do whatever and they have to rein them in, you know, whatever. And he's sitting there looking at his, at his paper and he's like, well, your your rhythms and notes were perfect. Um, maybe sing dancing instead of dancing, which like I guess I did at the very end of the cut. I went, you know, uh, I was like, ah, so keep dancing 
through, but it's written to be dancing. So he was like, maybe say, maybe say dancing instead of dancing. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And then I did, you know, maybe I'm brainless, maybe I'm wise. You got me feeling, even I did that cut. Same thing. Like everything was right. You know, like the big, the up that I fell. Everybody, you know, takes liberties with that on the page. It's not this big thing. It's just like, somehow I'm feeling it's up that I fell. It's like triplets, something weird that isn't necessarily intuitive. But that's what years ago, Stephen and Lack and, and Stephen Aremus had said, yeah. like, this is at the bare minimum. It has to be this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, that's what the page exists to be, especially for these huge shows. And like, because I gave honor to that first, he's sitting there being like, well, I know you can read it because like you've done it perfectly twice now. Do what you want this time. And then like I do what I want. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty funky. I had that same situation. With, and then, of course, they offered me the show. Yeah. Um, so sad I couldn't do it. <laughs> Similarly with Lack, it was like when Lack saw me do In the Heights at the Kennedy Center, it's a different relationship, obviously, because he's not like maintaining the show as he is with Hamilton. He's, right. you know, a little distance from it. But like Lack's pretty particular about like when you do a riff or when you do a run or whatever, it just has to be tasteful and it has to be like geared toward a character's journey. Um, and one of the first things he said to me, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten in my career, he like saw that show. I, you know, had some little tasteful things I did with Benny and he was like, yeah, man, no, some of those riffs and some of those turns you were adding in there were really, really nice, man. And I was like, and when you know oh. from someone like him, it's <laughs> yeah. here's like that. Here's it all as, as I'm, the length of this is for just to show that it's like, it is both things. Yeah. It's like, I can read it deathly well and I can go off the page at the same time. And I know, but it's me going off the page is informed by the page. Cause like, honestly, when you start auditioning for a lot of this Broadway stuff, it's like, these cats are funky. Like Aremis is funky. Lack is funky. Yep. Like, yep. I mean, you know, Daryl Waters is funky. Zane Mark is funky. Like you could name all of these orchestrators and arrangers who are responsible for putting this stuff on the page, the way they want it to be done. That's been agreed by the composer and, and by, you know, anybody else that's working on it. They put some cool stuff on the page that like gets lost because people think they're going to come in and be like, well, I'm going to sing the higher option or like whatever it is. And I'm like, that can be useful. But more than likely, if you're a young person auditioning for something, you haven't thought through whether or not it's useful. You're just doing it because yes. it sounds cool. You yes. know, like with the Fierro stuff, he has a, a nice little high thing for, um, you know, let's go down to the Ozdust ballroom. We'll meet there later tonight. We can dance till it's light. Find the prettiest girl. That find is pushed in the sheet music. Like, how cool is that, right? Instead yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. you know, like you could have any other thing that, you know, Leo Butts or whoever's done. It's like, oh, but that that little nugget that people would be like, oh, like, that's how Q does it. I'm like, no, that's the page. <laughs> he has like the written option for like, uh, right on down to the Ozdust Ballroom, it's like, that goes up. Like, there's a little small note up there. It's like, find the prettiest girl, give her a whirl, right on down to the Ozdust. That's on the page. And people are yeah. like, oh, oh, it's like, they put it there. Like, yeah, it's right. But like, when you honor that, they know immediately, like, oh, like, you get it. So now it's, now you've like, leapfrogged as i've done in my career kind of going back to what we initially talked about like people called me a unicorn or like q's path isn't typical but like my skill set isn't typical and so when i showcase that when i get the opportunities to showcase my non-typical skill set they say well yeah you can just replace oak on broadway 
even though you've never done anything other than regional theater. You know, they say, oh, yeah, um, this is my first audition for Wicked, my first time meeting any of these people. Yeah, you can just do Wicked. You can do Fiero on Broadway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's so it's so crazy. But, like, none of the things that have helped me the most in my career could I point to, like, any institution and say like that was the mantra of that institution it was always no that was like the mantra of maggie mizell that was the mantra of lynn kenning that was the mantra of alan robertson right so like just just get your mantras and your mantles and again like and i I, all those people i named were people i met like i met maggie mizell when i was 14 didn't like do a show with her till i was 15 i met lynn kenning when i was 18 i met alan when i was like 18 19 years old it's like no, like, let's start doing, like, imagine what I, would have been possible had I learned a lot of those tenets and I learned a lot of those ideas when I was five, starting sure. school, you know what I mean? Yes. And then you take all of that and you mix it up together in this wonderful concoction that is ever-changing, I think. And that's part of the joy. And hopefully it will remain ever-changing. That's certainly my hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Q. thank you so, so much. It is literally always such a pleasure and, and, a pleasure, an intellectual journey, a journey from the heart, a story every time that I get to talk with you. And I, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Gola Voce. And until next time, remember, follow your heart and follow your voice.